This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, August 21, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, we'll talk with two people about changes in the voting laws and how that will affect our upcoming election. Voting policies and procedures are changing rapidly across the U.S., and this November we'll see some of the effects at our local voting booth. But first, here's a message from the League of Women Voters. You know, I found a great resource online from the League of Women Voters. It's called Vote411.org. Check it out. They have a wealth of nonpartisan information about the candidates and issues that you will see on your ballot this November. Again, that address is Vote411.org. And speaking of voting, do you sometimes feel that your vote doesn't count? Because with all the money being dumped on some candidates, it's difficult for the candidates without a lot of money to get noticed. And you know how it goes. Those with the money get the attention. It's an unfortunate fact of politics in this country that money injects corruption into our government. If you're as concerned about it as I am, then join Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. Join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people, not just the rich ones. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Today we're going to talk about recent changes in voting laws and how they affect all of us as we head to the polls this November. As you probably know, many states have changed their voting laws over the past year or two, and many people are concerned over how this is going to affect future elections. Here in in Missouri, for example, the state legislature recently passed House Bill 1878, which has a lot of new provisions. The most notable has to do with voter identity. To cast a ballot, you must have a photo-based ID issued by the state or by the U.S. government, including a military ID. If you don't have an ID, you can still cast a provisional ballot where your signature is manually compared to the signature on your voter registration card on file at the election office. Other changes include a prohibition on ballot drop boxes for absentee ballots, though you can still cast a no-excuse absentee ballot starting two weeks prior to the election if doing so in person at the local election authority. And paper rules. No more trusting of digital bits on a computer. Every ballot must have a paper trail. There's a lot more to discuss, and we are honored to be joined at this time by the Missouri Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft. Secretary Ashcroft has the job of reviewing all the recent changes to the voting laws and putting in place a statewide system of ensuring the spirit and the letter of the law is enforced in a fair and equitable manner. So, Secretary Ashcroft, thank you for joining us at Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's really been my privilege to work with the legislature to put forth a bill that a tremendous amount of Missourians are happy about that will make sure we have the three really required components of a good election. That's to have accessibility, that's to have security, and that's to have credibility in the results. And I'm really happy about that. Thanks for having me on. Good. Thank you. 
Um, so I read this document, the HB 1878. It's quite a comprehensive read at nearly 60 pages, and I can see that there's quite a few challenges for your office. But I also think there's quite a few challenges for the voters as well with what, uh, by the time this podcast is released, I think we'll have about 11 weeks to go until the November election. So can I ask, what are you and your office doing to inform voters of the changes to our voting laws and how it will affect them this November? Well, the first and and, and most important thing that we're doing, and that I think everyone that believes in the right to vote and, and wants to make sure that everyone that meets the bare minimum requirements can vote should be doing, is making sure that the message is, if you're registered, you can vote. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that look at what's been done in other states, and um, we haven't done that. We've made sure that even if you don't know that the law has changed and you just show up on election day to vote, as long as you're registered, you can vote and your vote will count. And I think that's something we ought to all be able to agree on. Yeah, yeah. And early voting can take place starting two weeks before the election. And according to, I think I think it was 115.277, you don't need an excuse to vote in person at a location designated by the election authority, provided you have one of the acceptable forms of photo ID, which we'll discuss shortly. So here's a question. Will the election authority be open during hours that are easily accessible by people who may be working multiple jobs or simply aren't able to uh, attend, uh, go to the voting poll on normal business hours? Well, if people can't go during normal business hours, if they can't be at the polls on election day, we still have uh, the ability for people to vote uh, absentee ballots. Mm -hmm. Um, What you're talking about is not a restriction of the ability to vote, but Missouri has never allowed no excuse uh, early voting before. That is something new that's being added to it. Um, And I'm, I'm not quite sure how it's a a bad thing to be saying we are increasing the opportunity for people to vote. Yeah, well, I guess the the uh, caveat here is that you actually have to show up at the election authority and present a photo ID. Is that correct? Yes, if you use that manner of voting, but that is a way to vote that was never allowed in the past. Yeah, yeah. You can still vote absentee uh, if you meet the requirements. You can still go on election day and and vote whether or not you have a photo ID. But the introduction of two weeks of no excuse in-person voting is entirely new. It's kind of hard to say it's a restriction when it was never allowed before, and now we are. Yeah, no. No, the only restriction I have was was the voting, the the hours that the election authority is open. Will they... Uh, is it just like a nine to five sort of thing, or will they uh, two weeks prior to the election offer expanded hours? Do you think they are not going to be twenty four hours a day? Mm-hmm. This is allowing people during normal business hours to go and vote for those two weeks. And once again, this is an availability that was not previously there. Yeah. So it almost sounds like you're unhappy that you're not getting. 24 hours, there's around the clock open. And are you saying we should have just not done two weeks of normal business hours? Instead, we should have had nothing? Well, I'm just asking this question on behalf of, you know, other people. I, I personally, am, personally am very happy with it. But, you know, it's um, I'm just worried sure. about people that, you know, may have trouble getting to the uh, to the election authority. Uh, well, if people can't get to the election authority, 
they can vote absentee. Yeah. I mean, I, I here is my concern. Um, obviously, I'm a little concerned if you're asking questions that someone else asked you to ask. That 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 always is a little bit concerning. But secondly, um, it seems to me that you cannot look at this comprehensive election set of, of statutes piecemeal. Right. Because it's one thing to say, well, oh, this is restricting me from voting because I can't go to the polling place. Well, that's why we have absentee ballots. Um, oh, but it's, it's restricting me because I don't have a photo ID. Well, that's why you can go in person and you can vote even if you don't have a, a valid ID on Election Day. It's, you can't just say, well, this one statute doesn't provide what I need because there are multiple statutes that are layered to make sure that everyone that meets those base requirements, you know, well, if you're registered, but to be registered, you have to have the residency, you have to have the age, you, you have to have the citizenship, you, you can't be adjudicated incompetent, and, and I'm not calling anybody incompetent, don't take it that way. Um, but you, you have to look at the whole structure. I believe that for the, well, 2017 was the first time we could say it, was that we could say that if you're registered, you can vote. And there is no legal right for them to turn you away because you don't have an ID under this law. You will get to vote. I've voted a provisional ballot. It works. When you vote a provisional ballot, you're given a poll tab to actually ensure that your ballot gets counted. If it doesn't get counted, you can know why it didn't get counted, and you know that before the election is certified. Correct. So let me ask you a question about that, because that, that's very interesting. And I, I like this idea of being able to sign a provisional ballot if you don't have an ID. And from what I understand of the law, then that um, that the signature will be checked against the voter registration that you have. And how quickly will those signatures be checked, do you think? It, it, it depends on volume. Um, but generally what we see is sometime between 7 and 10 o'clock at night on election night, those signatures are checked. Okay. Wow. Okay, so that's really, that's pretty quick then. I was expecting it to be more like days or something like that. So that's you pretty know, quick. There are some ballots that don't get counted for days, but those generally tend to be, um, we have military overseas voters where the ballot can actually be received by Friday after the election at noon. So those ballots, we don't even have some of those ballots until Friday at noon, so we can't vote them until we count them. And potentially, if there is a large amount of absentee ballots that come in late on the election, they may not be able to all be counted on election night because it takes two-person teams to go through those, and it just depends on how many come in that last day. Um, but generally speaking, we try and we actually do get the vast, vast majority of ballots, including provisional ballots, counted on election night. We, we believe the people of Missouri want to have accurate elections, but they also want to have them quickly. Right. And we think it helps people to have confidence in the elections when, they're, when they can go to bed at 11 o'clock and know who won. We don't want to be 
you know, I was out in Arizona uh, last week or the week before that kind of blends together, and it took them several days to finish counting their ballots. I, I, I just don't think that's – I don't think that's good government. I think you need to get it done quickly. Uh, obviously, those are unofficial because we do, do, we do go through about a month of checking and verifying before they're made official, but we want to have those unofficial results up very quickly, and we see very little change. And the only times when you see a big change is, is when somebody had a fat finger, and then we go back and check the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of having paper backup too, incidentally, because that really Well, it's not a backup. The, well, it, it's, it's not a primary, even a, right, I mean, right. Yeah. It's it's not one of these things where it's just digitally and then there's like a cash register receipt. The official ballot is paper. That paper ballot that the voter gets that they can look at and say, "Yes, this is how I wanted to vote it." That's what gets run through the tabulating equipment. Because we think that that gives voters more confidence. If it's, we like the ability to have the touch screen. I'm getting near the age where I might need to be able to zoom in on things, but we wanted them also to be able to hold it physically in their hand and say, yep, this is what I wanted. And also, of course, if there is a recount, if there is litigation, we're not just trusting. Look, I'm an engineer, I, I'm not against technology, but people can trust that piece of paper they can touch and see better than that quote black box and we want people to trust our elections yeah yeah and thank you for correcting me on that as well it paper is the primary voting mechanism and i i personally like that as well uh i also am an engineer and i i uh i'm very much into technology but i know how things can get messed up as well garbage uh, in garbage out right exactly exactly um, have you, just out of curiosity, have you had any conversations or received any challenges from the ACLU about any of the uh, implementation of these laws? I know that you're not the legislative side of government, so you, you're really charged with executing the new law, but have you had any challenges on this from like the ACLU or similar? Well, first off, I don't want to mislead you. It, it's my job to implement this, but I was integral and I was in the negotiations uh, to get this law done. Um, on my wife's birthday, I was in a back room of the Senate with Democrats and Republicans and members of the House and everybody trying to figure out how to do this. So, I, yes, I implement it, but I, I do take the fact I was part of, of, of creating it, too. So I don't want to, you know, kind of slough that off and blame somebody else. I was there. Okay. Um, I, I, I have had discussions with people. Uh, I was speaking to a group of, of faith leaders this morning about the law. Um, and, you know, the really difficult thing is there are historic occurrences and practices that have happened, for the most part, in other areas of our country that have rightfully led people to be a little bit less, dist or a little bit less trustful of government than maybe they should be. And I, look, I, we're Americans. It's our right to question government. Um, so I think part of the problem is when you have a people group, if you will, that has been mistreated, they reasonably say, hey, wait a minute, is, is this what, what happened to us before? And that's one of the reasons why I'm going out and talking to people so much, because there's a lot of understanding that the law does A, 
when you actually start to talk to the person and say, okay, let's look at what the law actually says, what it actually does can be very different. And um, trying to get out there, not only to get that message out there, but to get partners. You know, there are people that I can talk to with credibility. There are other people groups that don't find me as credible as they might find other spokespersons. Mm -hmm. And trying to reach out to different groups to say, look, we want to make sure if you're registered, you can vote. We want to make sure that the message to people is that if they're registered, they can vote and they're not being dissuaded by someone telling them they can't. And, you know, people know you or they might trust you more. We want you to help us get that message out there. So we are doing that. We've been doing that. It's something we worked on since 2017. Although in, 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 in fairness, and I, I say this as gently as possible, there were things we were doing to put out the message that if you're registered, you can vote, which is true. And yet we had specific groups that were out there misleading people. Uh, frequently, they were misleading people of color, unfortunately, and they were intimating to those people that they would not be allowed to vote. And I have a real problem with that. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, too, because I'm, I'm sort of uh, concerned about that myself, what are you doing at this point to make sure that the word does get out? Are you doing like PSAs or, you know, media blitzes or something like that? Um, I'm recording a, a PSA this afternoon. It was delayed because we had reached out to some individuals that um, we felt might have the better ability to have credibility with certain minority groups and that we hoped might help us know where to direct our message mm -hmm. so that it would be uh, kind of more directed to the people that needed it. That's been a, a slower process than I would have liked. Uh, we've kind of been trying to do that since 2017, mm -hmm. but I am very happy that we will have one of the main individuals of that group will be recording a PSA with me today uh, so that it's not just me saying it, but also, and, and look, he disagrees with me about parts of the law. He may wish that the law wasn't in effect at all. I, I think he does, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I appreciate the fact that he has realized that it is the law right now and that he's been willing to come alongside us to make sure that the people he has sway with will know that they can vote and yeah. will not if you will, self-disenfranchise because they think they can't when they can't. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very important message, But it would really help too. if yeah. some of these outside groups mm -hmm. were not telling people they couldn't vote. It would, And, and I, I'm going to take a, a, a little bit of, of, of disagreement with one of the things you said when you started, which wasn't, I think technically it was true, but I'm afraid it could be misleading to people, as you said, that after August, and I'm not going to get exactly right, so please feel free to sure, correct sure. me. But essentially, it was after August 28th, you will need a government-issued photo ID to vote. And then you went on to continue to say, and if you don't have a government-issued ID, then you can vote provisionally. I think what you said there kind of is all true, but I would really love it and I think it would be better as a state and we would serve people better if our message was, if you're registered, you can vote. If you don't, and then if you don't have a that government-issued photo ID, you'll vote a provisional ballot. 
But I would love for the very first thing we're doing is we're telling people, if you're registered, you can vote. And I'm I'm sure you you want that message. It was just you were trying to synop, you know, give a summary of the law. But I'd really how we say it because sometimes people just hear the first part. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. It's um, it's it's a good uh, it's a good slogan. Uh, when I used I did a brief uh, uh, journey into we're marketing open to at ideas. one point. If you have better ones, we'll, we'll oh, no. take them. We'll claim them as our own, even. That, that's that's pretty good. Like I said, I was, I was in marketing for a little while, and we, we always look for what we call the seven deadly words, and those are the up to seven words that actually nail it for people. So yeah, if you're yeah. registered, you can vote. That's a pretty good uh, pretty good saying there. Uh, one last thing is, is regarding auditing, though, is is yeah. um, the, it's one of the first things I read in this bill. It's right at the very top. My biggest concern is people being removed from the list of eligible voters in error. Um, you yeah. know, and this is a pretty sensitive topic with a lot of people coming from past yep. elections. Uh, what sort of safeguards do you have in place or does your office have in place to make sure that this doesn't happen? Well, first of all, our office does not add anyone to the voter rolls and we do not move any, remove anyone from the voter rolls. Mm-hmm. That is all done by the local election authorities. What we do do is we get information like the Social Security death records, we get national change of address information, and we send that to the local election authorities for them to see, is that person that died the same person that I have registered in my uh, jurisdiction? Is that person that moved to Illinois and is now registered in Illinois, is that the same person that used to be registered in the city of St. Louis or, or some other place? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They do that. What that allows us to do is we're just going to go through and look at, are they working those lists? We make no determination. Uh, we don't have the authority to. Uh, who is supposed to be on or not on the roll, and we have no authority to remove people from the rolls. Okay. So I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what's going on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. So it really comes down to the local election authorities. And what you have basically is an auditing position to make sure that they're doing their job. And it sounds like you also when we prov- send them that list of names. Are they going through it to see if they should be removed or not? That's Correct. what we want. Yeah. yeah. And you also uh, seem to, as you said, you help them out in terms of getting that data in the first place. Uh, like you say, death records or uh, moving records or people that have moved. You have their records and such. Uh, good point. Thank you. Uh, we're at the end of our time here. Just uh, one last thing, though. Do you have any final words of advice for anyone listening to this podcast that may be concerned over whether he or she has everything in order uh, in order to vote this November? You know, I, I think the last word it won't be my last word because I'm a politician, if you will. <laughs> uh, the last word is if you're registered, you can go to your polling place on Election Day and you can vote. Um, if you have that government-issued photo ID, you won't have to vote provisionally. But I voted provisionally myself. Um, I wouldn't be telling people that it works if I hadn't made sure that it would work for someone like me. Because I think that when it comes to voting, every vote should have equal weight. Um, And then also, two things. I keep getting longer. Um, One, read the bill. I know it's it's legalese and it's it's not as it's no it's not a nice novel you have fun, and then call our office, because, I will just say you can't believe everything that's on the internet, 
and you can't believe everything in a commercial that you see on TV or on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that when people look at this, they will understand that, you know, there may be some people that make money um, on this issue that aren't necessarily really focused on what does the law say and how do we make sure that people understand it. Well put. Thank you very much. Well, we've been talking to Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Secretary Ashcroft will be overseeing the election this November and has the challenge of implementing new voting regulations that have just been signed into law earlier this year and will go into effect. I think you said about August 28th. It's about a week from now, a little bit over a week. Uh, So, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, thank you very much for taking time to chat with us today on Democracy on the Move. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're now talking with Joan Hubbard. Joan is a director of the local chapter of the League of Women Voters and is the chair of the League's Voter Access Committee. She has a career as a broker salesperson engaged in residential, commercial, and institutional sales. She holds an MBA from Lindenwood University and a bachelor's in business administration from from St. Louis University. Uh, Joan, with that very brief introduction there, uh, thank you for joining us on Democracy on the Move and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. Good. Well, uh, just a short time ago, uh, we talked with the Missouri Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, and we discussed some of the changes that are taking place in the voting laws here in Missouri, particularly the changes as enumerated in House Bill 1878, which consists of nearly 60 fairly comprehensive pages. Um, There's a lot to talk about, but let's first focus on the new voter ID portion of this law and how that affects people throughout Missouri. Can you give us some of your concerns over this uh, over this law? My primary concern with this law is the implementation that has not occurred or that we have not been made um, aware of. This law impacts seniors mostly voters with disabilities, and just voters who do not drive. Um, The issue becomes, where do they get the non-driver ID? The DMVs are not exactly uh, readily accessible for people in our communities, and there has been no uh, plan made public as to how to correct that. My concern, my main concern is that we could be left with a situation where people were able to vote in August and then be turned away in November because the law has changed and we have not taken the necessary steps to accommodate that. That's my concern. I just think that's unfair. So uh, what aspect of the law would turn people away? Is it is it just the voter ID portion of it? Yes, that's it. Not having that not. Well, first of all, those folks who have a driver's license, no problem. They're good. Mm-hmm. But you've got a lot of seniors who do not have a driver's license or they may have one that's expired, but they don't drive. So they never concern themselves with it. Uh, you got people with disabilities that don't have a driver's license. They have been using other forms of identification that has been acceptable over time. 
you've got people who just do not drive, do not have a driver's license. So now you're saying you've got to get this non-driver ID, but you've not told us where we can get it um, and made it available for us. And so we wrote a letter to the director of revenue asking that he set up centers in let's say churches, um, senior citizen buildings, malls, places like that, where people can actually acquire the required documentation. And so, you know, we just look at it like, you know, you made this law, you set this law up, but you didn't tell us how we could comply. So we feel like maybe there's some hidden agenda. You don't want us to comply. And so that's where we are having issues. So there are, in my understanding from reading this bill, 1878, and I, I hacked my way through it. It's got a lot of legalese in it, and I'm just not a legal person, but uh, I was able to get through it. And from what I understand, and it was confirmed when I talked to the Secretary of State, that there really are uh, several ways. I'll, I'll focus on two ways that someone who is elderly or disabled can vote. Uh, one way is that he or she can show up at the Office of the Election Authority starting two weeks in advance of the election. And, and, uh, or the second way is to show up at a designated polling place. Now, if they show up at the election authority, you're right, they will need an ID. Uh, but if you show up at the, at the polling place itself, you can file a provisional ballot, and that gives you two options there. If you, if you file a provisional ballot, you will have to fill out the envelope of the ballot, <clears throat> which, which amounts to a, um, an affidavit that basically says you are who you say you are, and you sign it. Then... You either return to the polling place before they close and show them your ID or uh, leave it as is because your signature will be counted. Uh, I mean, your, your signature will be compared to your voting uh, registration card and it will be counted at that time. Is that is that correct? Am I reading that correct? I have I have heard that the provisional ballot um protocol that you've described. Uh, and there's, there's two things with that. One is that that is not exactly how it is described in the legislation, uh, certainly to come back. And let's think about that. Uh, if I'm a senior and I don't have the required ID, you're telling me I have to fill out this cumbersome document application and then come back before seven o'clock with my ID. Remember, I'm we're talking about seniors here who don't always have the kind of access to transportation that you and I have. They don't drive all the way across town. So, you know, you're putting an extra burden on a senior citizen when if he would just identify for us the way that we can get the non-driver ID now, between now and November, they would have it and this, and they would not have to come back. You know, why make it 
burdensome when all you got to do is provide the non-driver ID that you said they had to have. That's the issue. But there's the second thing, though, too, that says that if you don't have an ID and you and you are registered and you have obviously if you're registered, you have your signature on a, on a registration card with the election authority, that that would be good enough because what will happen then is that uh, they will compare your signature on the envelope and the envelope itself has a small affidavit on it. You just fill out, you know, your name, et cetera. Um, so, so your signature will be compared, and maybe the vote doesn't count right now at that instant, but for a, a large majority of them, these these votes will be, the signatures will be compared within several hours, actually, and then be submitted as a, uh, as a ballot. You know, I'm not sure that I believe that, because first of all, we don't have of uh, poll workers who have been trained in comparing signatures. That's the first thing. Secondly, my signature looks a lot different now than it did when I was 18. And so those are the two things. Then I go back to my point of, if we have this law in place that says I have to have a non-driver ID, why can't I get one? Why can't the state provide the mechanism for me to get one? That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Well, they do. I mean, obviously, you have to make your way to a DMV office, correct? And, and, right. And so that's why we've asked that they set up mobile DMV offices. Because you know, as well as I do, technology being what it is, we could get people to come in with a camera and a printer and go ahead and create those documents. Uh, technology being what it is, we can do that. That can happen if you want it to happen. And so, and you know, we can identify the facilities in the neighborhoods where the people live, where the people live and where they traditionally walk around the corner to their polling place. Uh, we don't have a lot of DMV facilities in this area. So, yeah, that, that's a problem in, in this area. I, I, well, you're, you're in the St. Louis area, but that's also a problem, you know, in the middle of of um, rural areas like Redbird, Missouri, or something like that. I, I don't think they have a DMV office anywhere nearby. Um, and, that, and that's the point. I mean, we I live here in St. Louis, and so naturally I am familiar with what's going on in St. Louis. But as a league, we are concerned statewide. And so we are promoting the acquisition of the non-driver ID form statewide. And I go back to my point, you got the law in place, you have the technology available to make it happen so that people can comply with the law. You have the citizens who want to comply with the law. And so then therefore, why don't you make it available? Why come up with all of these um, provisional ballot options, and which means that somebody may or may not be able to come back to 
the polling place. How many people would do that? I mean, you go to vote, you fill out all these forms, and then somebody tells you, I'm going to put this over on the back table, and you come back before 7 o'clock the right. same day. How many people are going to do that? Well, like I said, though, because there is the option of just not coming back, and then that would the, the poll workers aren't actually the ones doing the comparing of the signatures. From what I understand, it is actually the election authority, uh, probably an election judge, and they're not trained either in uh, signature matching. Right. Okay. And um, so I understand that you've, uh, League of Women Voters has filed a request with the Department of Revenue to provide more resources for the DMV. Have you ever heard back from them? No, I have not. Uh, and in fact, um, my on my agenda for next week was to place a call to the director and follow up with our request. Okay, good, good. And... Um, so let me see. Are you aware that the Secretary of State has a media push to educate voters on the new requirements of the voting laws? In fact, when I talked to Jay Ashcroft earlier, he said that they are currently in the process of uh, recording a, uh, a video today, as a matter of fact, which would be part of his push. Now, the, the law doesn't take effect till August 28th, which as of the time this podcast will be released, it'll be a little bit more than a week away. It gives about 11 weeks then to um, to get things in place for the election. Um, so anyways, long story short, though, are you aware that they're that they are having a media push? And have you contacted them or reached out to them at all to see if you could get involved in it? I have kind of heard that, but have not seen any evidence of that. Um, certainly. It's needed. You know, we should have had it two or three weeks ago. No, certainly the law does not go into effect until the 28th, but there's no election. There's no reason why we could not have been engaged in that immediately after August 2nd. It was, you know, uh, giving people the opportunity to make these changes. Why are we waiting until the very last minute? No one's going to come in and change the law. So we know what it is. Yeah, I think I think the argument to be made there, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but the, the argument to be made there is that if there is any uh, media push prior to that time, a, a media push from the, from the Missouri state itself, uh, prior to August 28th, then that would be uh, doing it before the law goes into effect. I can just imagine the lawyers would love something like that to uh, to argue about. Um, yeah. But uh, has, um, to your knowledge, has the ACLU uh, gotten involved in this discussion at all? We expect they will file a lawsuit that uh, should be announced maybe next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. And um, so just to tell you what the media blitz is from the Secretary of State, like I said, I just finished talking to him. He has like this this media blitz with a fairly um, effective slogan of a total of six words. It says, if you're registered, you can vote. 
And I think that's the uh, that's the message that they plan to at this point to go forward with. And I don't want to get ahead of the law on this one here. That's that's what they so far plan to do. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Oh, I like it as long as it is really true. Now, are you going to say I can vote, but then when I show up, I don't have this non-driver ID? Then what happens then? Well, they, they can't turn you away at that point because they they simply have to take your ballot and put it into the provisional ballot envelope. In the provisional bucket. Right. Yeah. And and and, and, and that, that's and that's an issue that I have. That to me um kind of smacks of um being treated like a second class citizen. You told me that if I am registered, I can vote, period. You didn't tell me, but if you don't have this, that, and the other, then I'm going to put you off in the corner. That's the point. Right. What would, um, what would be uh, an acceptable um, solution in your mind in terms of like somebody showing up at the poll and does not have an ID? What would be the acceptable thing for you? I hope we don't get to that. Um, we are working. We really honestly and truly want us to be in a position where we have set up our centers. We have worked our centers. We have worked with our voters so that when they show up, they are in compliance. That is what we want to see. Good. Now, does the uh, League of Women Voters get involved in registering people to vote? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and we have registration sessions all of the time. Okay. And there, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. There is a provision in this new law that says if you register uh, people to vote, A, you cannot be paid for it. Yes. Um, I think that's part of the Zuckerbucks thing. And, mm -hmm. and B, if you register more than 10 people, you first have to register yourself with the Secretary of State's office. Yes, that is correct. And um, the league, there's another uh, group of my league buddies right now developing the forms and the policies that we will sign because we have to sign a document as a registrar. And so that is underway. We are doing that. We plan to do that. Like I said, Dan, it is our intent to be in full compliance with this law. We just need for the Secretary of State and the Director of Revenue to do their part. Right. Well, I would, um, yeah, I would just... Uh, uh recommend just giving him a call. I mean, <laughs> I just called, <laughs> I just called him out of the blue and, uh, you know, talked to one of his uh, assistants there who was extremely helpful and uh, mm -hmm. told him what I was after. And he said, no, let me set up an interview with you. And he had it set up within a few days. So uh, definitely recommend you try that same path. Mm-hmm. 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 So, um, one other thing I want to hit upon here is voter disenfranchisement. Have you experienced or do you know anyone else that has experienced 
being removed from the voter registration role for unreasonable or what you would consider to be unreasonable or unfair reasons? No, I'm not aware of that. No. Okay. Yeah, that's that's because uh, I did have a, a short conversation with the Secretary of State about that because it's one of my concerns is that people get taken off the voter registration rolls. And this is this is actually uh, goes back, I, I believe, even predates the 1878 rule that says that um, if you do not vote in two uh, consecutive uh, federal elections, uh, they will send you a a um, uh, some sort of a uh, form in the mail and you need to return that form to say, hey, I'm still alive. I'm still me and I'm still living at this location. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't now, that's Secretary of State was very clear about that. They don't pull you from the voter rolls, but the ele- the local election authority can uh, at that point. And I was concerned about that. But um, do you have do you share any of those concerns as well? No, not really. Um, certainly, you know, we have discussed the uh, issue of purging the voter rolls. Um but I personally don't know of anyone who has done that. And I can say that um, if there is, if there is uh, an effort underfoot to purge the roles, we would hope, we would hope that the Secretary of State and the election board uh, officials would let us know that they're in the, that they're in the position of purging the roles so that we can get the word out. One of the things that we really take issue with is the unwillingness or the inability of officials to be transparent, to tell us what they're doing before they do it, uh, to give us the opportunity for input into what they're doing. We want to be, we're not interested in fraud any more than anyone else. We want a secure election, just like anyone else. But what we don't want is to feel like that we are the ones that are being blamed for something that someone else has not done. And that's what we feel is going on with 1878. They wrote this legislation without a good plan for implementation. And so we are put in the position that we got to jump through hoops in order to comply. And quite honestly, Dan, I'm not speaking for the league. I'm speaking for myself when I say this. I just think that's wrong. I just think that's wrong. Well, let's get back into that then, because there's one question that um, that I'd like to ask you, and this is I'm just I'm just saying this on behalf of the Secretary of State. If you could name uh, what person would not be allowed to vote in your mind, would you repeat that question? Yeah, sorry, it was a little bit complicated the way I presented it, but, but basically what I'm asking is. Uh, on behalf of the Secretary of State, uh, could you name what person, or what kind of person or what person would not be allowed to vote under the new law, 1878? Oh, 
it's already in the law. It would be the person who uh, did not have this non-driver's license and did not show up and did not come back in the afternoon to vote. But but again, I mean, they can vote with a with a provisional ballot just on their own signature, period. I mean, they don't have to come back. That's one option is to come back and show them your ID, yes, and but that they don't have not to. How it is written in the legislation. It is very clear in the legislation that you must return. Hmm, okay. Yeah, that's um I I'd have to look up the login here because that's not the impression I got. I, I really think that um that you can you can vote and and, and, and then let me ask you something, Dan. Sure. Let me just let, let me just, you know, devil's advocate. Why is that in there? Why are we focusing on provisional ballots as opposed to focusing on putting the plans in place to make sure people have the uh, non-driver's license, the non-driver's IDs? Why don't, why is it that we cannot find the time to do the things that we said we wanted to do, we wanted to happen? Why are we focusing on provisional ballots? Why are you forcing me to fill out this, uh, and it's a detailed document, the provisional ballot. It's a detailed document that asks for my mother and my father and my age and my birth date and the whole bit. Uh, I go to vote, but I've got to fill out a provisional ballot or an affidavit or whatever in order to vote. And then the poll worker is going to put it off to the side and maybe they will look at it. Maybe they won't if I decide to come back in the evening. Why, why do we have a system like that? Why can't we just not set up some centers, some temporary sites and go ahead and create the documents that the leg legislation says I gotta have? Why can't we do that? Well, I don't disagree with you on that one. I, I think you've got a very good point right there. It should be a, a, a thoughtless process in a sense when you go to vote. The only thing mm -hmm. you should really focus on are the candidates and the issues, right? And, exactly. Um, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you on that. I, I, I think that there there is uh, certainly some wisdom in that question. Um, I just I'm just trying to figure out because, you know, right now um, that's the way the law is written. <laughs> we're, we're sort of stuck with it at this point until we get a new legislature in there to to maybe uh, modify it or or do away with it altogether and rewrite it. Um, I'm not in an argument with that. Dan, the law is written that says you either have to have a Missouri driver's license or a Missouri non-driver's license. And it goes on the passport and all that other kind of good stuff. And it, so why can't we focus on that? I mean, those are the first two lines in the legislation. Why do we have to go back to page number, whatever, whatever, to talk about, well, if you don't have that, you can do provisional. 
Why can't we focus on what the law says I got to have? I got to have a Missouri non-driver's license. Yeah, and I think that's a good focus to have, honestly. And then the other thing, let's think about this. Let's take this on forward. This is not, November is not the only election that we're going to have. 2023, we're going to have elections. 2023, these uh, requirements will be in place. Are you saying then that in 2023, I got to come back and do a, a provisional ballot again? Think about that. Yeah. That makes no sense. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir here, right here, because I, <laughs> I, I don't... I, I don't have an argument with that. I, I'm, I'm just kind of parroting what, what the law says at this point. And, and I think that there is some truth to the fact that if you're registered, you can vote. Um, but yes, the, 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 the asterisk next to that says, yes, you do have to have a provisional ballot. And by the way, the, the part of the, the law there is 115.277. If you scroll all the way down, there's a lot of stuff that's struck through. It says an individual who appears at a polling place without a form of personal identification described in subsection one and who is otherwise qualified to vote at that polling place shall be allowed to cast a provisional ballot. The election judges shall make a notation on the provisional ballot envelope to indicate that the voter's identity was not verified. And it goes on to say that uh, that they will compare signatures at that point. So I, I they will compare signatures and your in your provisional ballot will then will then count or will be counted as a normal ballot the i guess the question i have here is that uh or the observation i have here is that yes i i don't necessarily like the fact that you have to go down this provisional route but the law is what it is so uh, i think what's what could be particularly dangerous in the situation is if the word gets out that you cannot vote if you don't have a driver's license or a uh, non-driver's license from the DMV, um, then it will it will keep people away from the polls. And um, I, I, I think it, it's more accurate to say, yes, it's great if you have that ID because then there will be no problems. You'll just skate right through it. Uh, but you do, uh, if you do not have that ID, that does not mean that you cannot vote. And so I think, like I say, I think it's kind of dangerous to put the word out there that, that you can't vote if you don't have an ID. It's already out there front with the first two lines of that legislation uh, where it talks about what you've got to have. Um, I mean, they don't even uh, talk about the provisional until later on in the legislation. But the first lines are about driver's license and non-driver's license. That's the first thing. Um, you know, I don't know, I'm no expert on this. I don't know. I, I just find it hard to believe or understand why we would put forth such an effort uh, to talk about provisional when we could be putting our effort on the basis of the legislation. The photo ID, the non-driver's photo ID. Why can't we focus on that? Why is that so hard? That's what you said you wanted. So why don't we do that? 
And then the other thing is, once you do that, once our seniors or our disabled or our non-drivers have that document, they can use it next year. I mean, you know, why do we make it so hard? Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, again, you know, like I say, you're preaching to the choir here, but um, yeah, it's one of those things where I see what you're saying and I agree. And um but right now, you know, we have to deal with the law the way it is and until Not, that changes. And Dan, and dealing with the law the way it is, we could set up the centers yes. and deal with the law the way it is. And maybe there would be some folks who would uh, fall out in the whole scheme of things and would have to vote provisional. But I mean, to plan to vote to have a number of people vote provisional is it is defeating the purpose. Why don't you plan instead to accommodate the thousands of voters who will need this non-driver ID? Yeah. Yeah. And and to that end you've been you've been you've asked the Department of Revenue which runs, I guess, they, they control the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, to, mm -hmm. uh, to help out in that, yes. And, and, and the other thing is the legislation also says that the state and the fee offices are supposed to pay for this. Yes, they not only pay for it, but they also are uh, tasked with helping you locate the documents that you need, like birth certificates and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, in all due respect to Secretary of State Ashcroft, on August the 3rd or the 4th, that's what he should have been working to put in place. He got what he asked for. So yeah. then let's get busy and implement it. And implement it in such a way that people have the opportunity to comply. But no, they want to put something in place and then when people don't comply, then they can say, oh, we told you that wouldn't work. Well, I think that's why the word has to get out, right? Uh -huh. the, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so you can you can um, you can work with the secretary of state or uh, to help him get the word out or help his office get the word out. But also, I think, yeah, I think you have a two-pronged approach. The second one is to work with the Department of Revenue to get them to provide more services from the DMV. I think it's a great idea. If the DMV has like a mobile office, for example, they can pull up to a church on a Sunday or something like that or, exactly. or to the library. Exactly. You know, with technology being the way it is with a little printer, handheld printer and, and a my cell phone, you know, take that picture, enter the information on that printer, print out the ID card, and go on to the next parishioner. Yeah. That sounds good. I mean, is that something that could realistically be put together uh, before between now and November, do you think? I would think so. I mean, the printers are available. You know that. Uh, cameras are available, uh, some software to load onto the printers to enter the information that they want to acquire. 
Yeah, I mean, technology being what it is, yeah, they could do it if they wanted to do it. And that's what we've been saying, get busy and do it. Well, it's a good point. You made a good point there. And um, like I say, uh, it's um, it's it, it's I think it's a wonderful idea to to do this. And um, what uh, what stands in your way right now? Just the Department of Revenue? Yes. Yes. OK. Are you going to have a because meeting? With we them? think we could get the facilities, you know. To make it happen, the churches, the senior centers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, Dan, you know, we have, uh, as lead members, we have uh, a committee uh, whereby we uh, visit seniors in senior citizens centers to talk about issues. You know, they, they're not as mobile as they used to be in their younger days, but they are still very interested in current events, wanting to know what is going on and wanting to have the opportunity to vote. And so we go to senior citizens to explain the new processes for them and to help them. Uh, and so we would want to continue to do that. Okay. And, and this would be an ideal facility for uh, one of these cameras and printers and, you know. Yeah. And help people out. I mean, you know, why do we always think that it's a good idea to disenfranchise people? Well, I don't think anybody thinks that's a good idea except some people who are more perhaps on the edge radically speaking, but I think the most uh, vast majority of Americans, and I would put the Secretary of State in that same category, is being genuinely concerned about uh, having everybody vote that is uh, qualified to vote. And it's just yes. a matter of making it happen, right? Okay, are there, um, is there any, I want to wrap this up here. Is there any uh, anything that concerned people can do to get more involved in making sure that our voting process this November is fair, equitable, accessible, and uh, secure and everything? But what can people do? Well, what we've been doing with our committee, and we started working on it this week, we are going back to our own personal senators and representatives and letting them know that, uh, letting them know what's going on and asking them to get involved. The thinking is that they voted for this. And so they have an obligation to help us implement it in such a way that it benefits the citizen. So in thinking about what people can do, we say, contact your representative, contact your senator, and let them know the uh, how the impact that this legislation is going to have on seniors, voters with disabilities, voters who do not drive. Well put. And also that you would talk about senators and representatives. You're talking about the state level senators and yes. representatives. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and have them mm -hmm. help you out in terms of like perhaps uh, making their views known to the Department of Revenue so that the DMV can um, perhaps uh, be more accessible to people. Yes, 
Exactly. Exactly. Good. We've been talking with Joan Hubbard, director of the local chapter of the League of Women Voters and chair of the Voter Access Committee. Uh, Joan, thank you very much for stopping by and joining us today on Democracy on the Move. And thank you for having me. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. <laughs>